0: You three. I am Pastor Mike, and I want to begin today by sharing one of my totally unreasonable fears. And we all have these, right? We have legitimate fears in our lives, fear that makes sense, fears that are tied to real dangerous things. And then we all have these fears that we know, when we're real honest, are totally and completely bonkers. And you're the only one who probably knows what your is, you or maybe your significant other. They're just not grounded in reality, right? They're that thing that freaks us out for no reason. And for me, it is seaweed or specifically swimming over seaweed in oceans, rivers, lakes. It doesn't matter where it is. I hate doing it. Every one of my friends laughs at me about this. It's comical. If there is seaweed under me and I'm swimming and I notice it, you're going to see me start swimming faster. I'm going to try to get out of there as quickly as I can. And Lord, 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 if it touches my leg without me knowing it's there, watch out because I'm going to flip. I mean, it's just a totally bizarre fear. But when I reflect on it, it really comes down to three realities. See, it makes me afraid for these three key reasons. I think, first of all, I have no idea what's underneath it. And thus, when I swim over it, I have no idea what's underneath me. It just appears to be this dark, ominous patch of swaying potential death, right? I can't tell how deep it is. And I have no idea what could be lurking within its depths. Crocodiles, sharks, piranhas, how am I supposed to know? I don't care if it's what color springs. They still might be there, right? Which means it's a perfect breeding ground for fear. The uncertainty and the mystery of it lets my fear and my imagination combine to project any potential danger that I might want to imagine is there onto it. Even if I know deep down I've never actually encountered a monster in seaweed, it doesn't stop my mind from jumping to all those what ifs. And I think second, what makes me so afraid of it is the way it moves just freaks me out. It sways in the water seemingly innocently until it touches your leg. And then you suddenly feel like it's wrapping around your leg. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That feeling where it just suddenly grabs you, it feels like. The sensation, whether it's true or not, triggers my brain to feel like it's grabbing me and trying to pull me down. So when I don't realize it's coming and I feel it touch my leg like that and it starts wrapping around me, my brain just goes haywire, get off of me, right? It just drives me nuts, it's scary. And then third, most importantly, I think it freaks me out because honestly, it's just slimy and gross. I mean, it's just yuck, right? And I know it's ridiculous. I know that it's absurd i laugh at myself about it but it's still true and for me at the same time i think it's become symbolic for how fear works in my life whether it's seaweed or something far more serious it just highlights the key truths of how fear plays out inside me for one at first glance my fears are almost always far more layered than i think they are you see, at first, my fear looks like or seems to be tied to a clear sim- stimulus. But upon reflection, what I tend to discover is that they include both a real fearful circumstance and something deeper within me, a story I play out. It's both seaweed, being afraid of it as a thing, and the story in my head of the fear of uncertainty, the fear of not being in control, the fear of dying or drowning in this case. I think second, just like with the seaweed, my fears tend to feed on the unknown. It has this way of taking a real thing, combining it with the unknown, and then applying my imagination to it, and then just feeding and growing off of all those what-ifs. Third, it also captures, I think, the feeling of fear. You See, when fear grips me, when it truly has a hold of me, what does it feel like? It feels like tentacles reaching up from some dark abyss and wrapping around me and trying to pull me down into it. And above all else forth, like seaweed, fear just feels slimy and gross. And maybe I don't need to ask this, but has anyone felt any of those sensations in this season? You've been wrapped up. You've been, your imagination has go wild, like you're being pulled down into the depths. I know I have. Fear is just a major part of our humanity. And it's especially true right now, which means it's something that we must face in our spiritual journey. And that is why I want to explore it this week in our series, Just Be, where we've been exploring key aspects of spirituality, like being present, centered, self-aware, forgiving, still, And we've been looking at how we can use time-tested spiritual disciplines to practice finding these things in our daily lives as disciples of Jesus, practicing them for a purpose, practicing them so much that they become our second nature. And we grow to the point where we can just be these things when it matters most in every day of our lives. It's this journey that we've been calling the journey of transformation that moves us from human doings to human beings. And today I want to look at fear and the process for working through fear in the Christian life. And I think it's a very different process than what we often find given to us from our world. I think our culture often teaches us one of two things. It teaches us to either ignore our fears. It tells us the opposite of being afraid is being brave. And what bravery really is, is just acting like you're not ever afraid. Or, on the other hand, it tells us to let our fears have free reign over our minds. It tells us that all of our fears are exactly as bad as we think they are, and we should act accordingly. But what I have found is that in the spiritual life, we are called to respond to fear in a radically different way. Not by ignoring it, but by growing in our capacity to name our fears, sit with them, and let God teach us through them. And not by willing our fears away by our own strength. No, in spirituality, the opposite of fear isn't bravery. The opposite of fear is trust in the Christian life. It's all about growing and our capacity to trust something bigger than ourselves, something that is with us, something that is working through us, learning to just be trusting of a God who is with us. In our fearful circumstances, and those deeper stories we hold that paralyze us within them. And to explore what it means to just be trusting, I want to look at one of my favorite psalms. It's Psalm 3. It's one of the prayers and poems found in the book of Psalms, this list of prayers from Jewish history that is preserved in the scriptures. And I want to look at it because in it, I think we find this model Four, processing fear and practicing trust in prayer. Now, like many Psalms, Psalm 3 is tied actually to a specific story from the Old Testament. In this case, it's tied to this story of King David. And his story is a crucial backdrop for understanding what's going on in the Psalm. You see, David is widely considered the most important king of Israel in the Old Testament. He was this lowly shepherd, that God raised up from obscurity, called and empowered to be the king of his people. And for a long time, David was a truly good and godly king. But as the story goes, David's power goes to his head. He grows prideful and arrogant, and he begins to make a series of truly awful decisions that leads everything to fall apart. We see David utterly fail morally. He fails as a father, He fails as a king, and he ends up at rock bottom. It's this tragic moment where his own son, Absalom, leads a coup against him. And he is forced to flee for his life into the desert, being pursued by an army trying to kill him that is led by his own son. I mean, he loses everything. And in that space of fear, David writes Psalm 3, which I believe provides us with a pattern and a model for processing our fears and learning to just be trusting in them. So we're just going to dive into it. It starts in verse one. We see that David writes, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And let's stop there. Because I actually want to walk through each step of this psalm and each step of this process, because I think it's a powerful process. So step one, what does David start with? David begins by addressing his prayer to God, which is a simple thing to say, but you have to get into your head. Whatever this process is, it is something that we must do with God and giving to God. We have to be in the presence of God to process through our fears effectively. We have to be aware of that presence. And then he moves on. Step two, how does David begin his prayer? He begins by identifying with vulnerability, the stimulus of his fear before God. He doesn't deny it or sugarcoat it. He just lays it out there. God, I am being pursued by my soldiers. They want to kill me. I am afraid. He just honestly names the present fearful circumstance. For me, it would be naming that seaweed has touched my leg and ah, I'm afraid, right? He just names it. But notice, that's not the only part of his fear that he identifies. No, David actually goes deeper. Look at what he says. He says, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. So apparently those pursuing him are claiming that his circumstances are a sign that God has abandoned As he processes with God through this fearful circumstance, he recognizes that beneath his actual situation, there's actually a bigger fear gripping him. This story playing out inside him that maybe his failures and his hard circumstances mean that God is no longer with him. And this is so relatable to me. There's the fear created by our circumstances, that fear of adrenaline, that feeling of we're in danger. But then there's that deeper dread created by the broken stories. We begin to tell ourselves about what our circumstances mean for our identity, for our meaning, for our value, for our significance. And this Psalm shows us that in praying through fear, we must be willing to name both. David names his real circumstances of fear, but instead of rushing to alleviate his fear, what does he do? He sits with it in the presence of God and he lets God speak to him through it. He lets God use this moment of fear to show him this deeper, broken, fearful story playing out underneath it. He doesn't just play whack-a-mole, right? With the symptoms of his fear. He allows God to make his circumstances, his fear, a teacher. One that shows him this core fear and story that he needs to find healing for. And I just think this is profound. It's so countercultural to how we usually respond to fear. One of my favorite quotes on this is actually from the book Dune. It's a science fiction book written by Frank Herbert. And it captures this idea so well. It goes like this. It goes, I must not fear. For fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass through me and over me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. I mean, that's what we see David do here. Before God, he names his fear. He sits with it. He lets it pass through him and over him. And this is powerful. Once it's passed, he moves into our third step. He begins to let it strip down who he is. And on the other side, he uses his prayer to shift his perspective to the point where only him and God remain. We see this beginning in verse three. But you, Lord, are a shield around me my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. So first, David says, God, you are my shield that wraps around me. Now, does someone carry a shield to prevent fearful circumstances from coming at them? No, someone wears a shield for protection because they accept that fearful circumstances will come. What we're saying is David shifts from dwelling and focusing on escaping from his fearful circumstance to finding God with him in them. God, you aren't absent from my fear. I know that you are with me in this too. And as long as I know that protect me from falling apart and losing myself within it. And this begins to change how he responds to his fear entirely. He says, Lord, you are my glory, the one who lifts my head high. Through this growing trust in God's presence with him, David begins using his fear to reflect on and to reorient his identity around this God who has remained. He stops avoiding it and he lets it teach him. One of my favorite teaching pastors pointed this part out to me. And I think it's so cool. His name's Tim Mackey. Check this out. The word glory in Hebrew is kavod. And it's tied to the source of one's meaning or significance. So for example, when we say give God the glory, it's give God all the significance. It's recognizing that he is the foundation of meaning in our world. Now, has David made God his glory? the source of his significance, his value, his meaning, his identity before this rock bottom experience that brought him fear. No, in fact, like I said, he had placed it in everything but God before this point. That's what got him here. He placed his glory and his self-righteousness, his power, his wealth, his status. And it's what led him to this low moment. And as he's named these fears and he's processed them through prayer, and as he's prayed through his situation in God's presence, you see him begin to realize this, to let it strip him down and to reorient his identity back to its true source, the God who raised him up in the first place, the God who is still with him. And as he does so, he begins to reorient his entire perspective too. Look at this. He begins to reorient it from his circumstances to God's character. And you see that trust continue to grow. He says, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. He looks towards God and he remembers who he is. You are the God of grace, compassion, love, mercy. And despite all I've done and what I'm going through as a consequence of it, I can know with unshakable confidence that you are with me, that you will answer me when I move towards you in this too, not because of something I've done, but because of who you are. And in that space, guys, you see the trust start to flow and to pour out of him. He picks up in verse five. I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked, for the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. It's this image of the true trust of surrender. And notice that David still acknowledges his emotions. He still names the fear and the anger and the injustice of his situation. But in trust, he is able to do so without being owned by them or destroyed by them. I mean, this is still hard, David says. But I give it to you, God, because I tried it my way. I tried to rely on my will to control my life, and I made a mess of it. And all I found on the other side was more and more. Fear. So I'm going to do something different. Instead, I trust that God alone sustains me and gives me life each day. I trust that God is with me in this too, because He's always been with me. I trust that He alone can be the source of my significance and my identity. So I will let Him lead me forward no matter what comes. And I think in that trust, what we see is that David finds peace and rest that cannot be taken away from him, no matter what, not by anybody. Even if things don't get better, or even if they get worse, David has found a trust that lets him sit in that and find God in it. I mean, you can see it. It's this peace and rest that only comes when someone has fully surrendered their circumstances and thus their fears to this God who he knows is with him, that he knows is good that he knows he can trust. That's what it means to just be trusting in the midst of our fear. That is the goal of processing through it in the Christian life. I mean, it's just beautiful. But at the end of the day, we always must remember this takes practice. David didn't get to the point where he could trust God when he was surrounded without practicing it in his everyday life first. And we can't either. So I want to close with a practice for processing through fear and building and developing this trust. It's this thing that I've done in multiple seasons of my life called praying through the Psalms. See what you do is you take these ancient prayers that span generations of God's people. And what we we try to do is we try to find ourselves in them through prayer. We use them to help us hear God speak in the midst of our present circumstance, like as people have done for thousands of years. It's a great and simple practice. I just want to walk through it. Here's what you do. The first thing that you do is you pick a psalm and you read it out loud and you let the words sit with you. Whether they are comfortable or not, you just sit with them in silence. And then you start going line by line and you reframe your situation to find yourself within it. And I already read and walked through Psalm 3. So I'm just going to show you what this might look like if we let ourselves go through the process that we've identified in David's psalm. So what would it look like? First, like David, as we read through the psalm, we would identify where we are experiencing fear in our lives. We would name both the specific circumstance and the story playing out and colliding with it underneath. And we would be direct. We would be honest. We'd be vulnerable. We would model David's prayer as our own. And you probably don't have foes trying to kill you led by one of your children. If you do, I'm really sorry. That's a hard circumstance. But even if that's not our specific circumstance, I'm pretty sure we all know what it means to feel like we are surrounded and being crushed crushed by the weight of fear. So maybe it's not, Lord, how many are my foes? Maybe it's, Lord, how much is my fear of conflict with a friend right now? Or the loved one. How much is my fear of the hurt I've been caused by someone? How much is my fear of financial insecurity? I'm surrounded by the fear of loss or illness. You name it before God. Find yourself in the psalm. Don't hold back. Allow yourself to be honest and vulnerable. But then ask God to show you what's underneath. God, where is that fear colliding with a story in me? Where does that fear of a conflict collide with codependency or the belief that you aren't worthy of being loved? So it's leading you not to address the situation. You're just more and more afraid. Where does that fear of financial insecurity crash into that story? We tell ourselves that we only matter if we produce something for someone else. So it just grips us with dread. Maybe we aren't as important as we thought. Where does that fear of illness or loss hit right at the core of that fear of not being in control or being abandoned by someone you love? Just like David, we have to name it as we work through the psalm because we can't give to God what we can't name. But if we can name it, We can keep moving through it like David did. So what does David do next? What's the second step as I pray through this psalm? He acknowledges God's presence. God, you are my shield. You are with me. Protect the most important part of me, who I am as your child. We just ground ourselves with God with us. God, you are here. Which lets us move into that third step. We can reflect on what this fear might be teaching us. We can listen for God to use it to teach us something about ourselves. God, show me where I have misplaced my glory. What does this fear teach me about where I've placed my significance, my meaning, my value, my identity? Where have I put it on something that cannot define me or sustain me? Have I placed my glory in my wealth in my job in a relationship in my ability to control my circumstances, in my ability to avoid suffering? Where is that dread what's driving me? God, help me learn from this and remember that you alone are my glory. And it moves us to this fourth step. Reorient your perspective from your circumstance to God's character and keep it simple. I may be struggling. I may be afraid. But God, you are good. God, you are loving. God, you are full of grace. God, you are compassionate. God, you are the God who never leaves someone behind. Just focus in on that and only that. Just try to hone in, sit with it, repeat it to yourself. God, you are love, ground yourself in it. And as you do that, fifth, what I have found is I get to sit in the space where I can start to name and feel my emotions without being driven by them. at that point, I can open up. Don't hold back. God can take it. He's not afraid of your anger or your pain or your frustration or your sadness or your disappointment. Just let it out. Open up in his presence. Let it flow out. Give it to him as you process through that situation. Because finally, what you're going to find that you're able to do, or at least what I have found, is at the end of this, just like David, once it pours out, I can sit there at the end in Silence. And surrender it. I can let it go. I ask God to lead me forward in that situation of fear no matter what comes next. Like David, I can say I rest because I know my God sustains me. Your will be done. I just think this is a powerful practice. Allow the Psalms to speak to you. Turn to them when you feel fear pray through them, practice them, open ourselves to them. We cannot find trust in the midst of the most fearful circumstances if we don't practice trust in the midst of our daily lives first. We need to be willing to practice naming our fears, sitting with them, letting them pass through us so we can bring them to God, let him teach us, let them strip down that misplaced glory, and reground ourselves in his presence, his character, and his leading. And I believe that the more that we do that, well, the more we become capable of catching ourselves when that seaweed is all around us. We can stop, we can listen, and we can truly give it to God. We become people who can just be trusting when it matters most. And for someone who is so often afraid, that is good news. Amen.